Well, if you have your Bible or your device, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Proverbs. Proverbs is found just to the right of center in your Bible. If you're in Psalms, it's right adjacent. If you're in Isaiah, you need to come back a little to the left. Proverbs chapter 1. We're in this series, just started last week, called Sophia, which is actually the Greek, that's Greek, and it's translated into the English wisdom. And so we want to look for some wisdom together in the next number of weeks. Proverbs chapter 1, beginning in verse 1 through verse 7. And just listen to how inviting these words from Solomon really are. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. I find that very inviting, those verses, these offers from God to us. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. So for these complex ideas and how they're properly applied in my life, as I do life in a very practical way, this is what God offers to us. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. The the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. You know, when you think about our world, we are incredibly blessed with access to, um, it seems like, almost unlimited amounts of knowledge. And we can access it just on our phone or on our laptop or whatever, have a question, you can get access to it. But is knowledge really knowledge if we don't use it, and especially if we don't use it properly? This is at the heart of why God gave us the book of Proverbs which talks extensively about wisdom, what it is, where we find it, and how it relates to the very practical questions of life. And so we began last week in sort of a general overview of the book a little bit, and one of the things we came to a conclusion on is that biblical wisdom is God's giving us the ability to make right decisions. He'll help us understand and apply it if we invite him into the circle. When we try to navigate this stuff on our own, we typically end up in some pretty dire situations, difficult stuff. And maybe it doesn't look that way initially, but in the long term, we find ourselves in some pretty deep waters. When we try to navigate life with our own level of understanding, with our own level of ability, but he offers to help us understand and properly apply. So this is very important to remember. A proverb typically is a short, punchy statement about the way things generally are. About the way things generally are. And so today, we want to talk about it, and we've been singing about it and reading about 
All the truths we're going to talk about in the next few minutes, all through this service, we've been singing about them. If you've noticed, we've been reading about them. We're going to start today by asking the question, where does wisdom begin? What's the launching point to cultivate it in my life? What has to sort of be in place before I can start going down this track to glean this wisdom and then to properly apply it in my life? What is the launching point? And so we come to a text in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. Just listen to it. It's just one word, one verse rather. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I read that again. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now, oftentimes we think about fear in terms of negative types of things. But actually, it's used a number of different ways in the scripture. And so um, I asked some people that I know, I said, what are you afraid of? And some of them were a little reluctant to answer, but they started coming up with some of the things that they can be afraid of in life. One person said to me, I'm afraid of things I don't understand. Someone said snakes. I don't know if you've been out hiking and walking much, but there seems to be a ton of snakes out right now, which my wife is super happy about. And, you know, she's just hoping to see more of those. We've seen a couple of them in our hikes. And I just know a guy last week, a friend of mine that got bit by a rattlesnake in the last week. So be careful. So some person said they're afraid of things I don't understand. Someone said snakes. Someone said heights. Someone said birds. Someone said my spouse. <laughs> Sickness, failing, the dark, wasps, going broke, the dentist, spiders, and I could go on and on. And I'm just going to tell you this. Two of those on that list were ones that I'm kind of afraid of, but I'm going to let you guess which ones they are. But I'll give you a clue. It wasn't my spouse. <laughs> it's interesting because the word of God seems to give us a seemingly contrast set of verses when it comes to fear. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, it says this, perfect love drives out fear. But then our main text today says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And these verses are not contradictory in any way. They show fear is pictured in Scripture in a variety of different ways that we have to read about to get the context and understand what kind of fear they're talking about. So one of the places, and we won't take time to turn there, is just a very healthy fear. It's a kind of self-preservation fear that God has kind of sown into our DNA. So the idea of warning, don't touch that red hot stove. You should be a little bit afraid of it in the sense that if you do touch it, it's going to burn you horribly. Another one is the kind of fear that um, kind of handcuffs us in life. And so maybe it's one of the things on that list I read earlier, or maybe you don't, maybe you're not afraid of anything on those lists that people suggested, or maybe you're not willing to admit it because you think you're too tough, or maybe it's more, much more serious ones like this, 
You're afraid of what's going to happen to you when you die. You know, we don't like to talk about death in our culture. We avoid it sometimes at all cost. But the sad reality is that we're all going to die. And you're afraid of what's going to happen to you after you die. What's next? This is one of the things that God has the answer for. Maybe you are afraid of not being forgiven. And you're carrying this big matzo ball in your stomach of not being forgiven. That's another question for which God has the answer. Any of these things that I've referenced can lead to a feeling of being paralyzed, of being stressed, of being distracted, of having your blood pressure spike, of being not not able to sleep, of being racked with anxiety. And there's this great promise from 1 John 4 that we read earlier, the perfect love of God casts out that kind of fear. And it's available to us. Relationship with God is available to us. It means I humble myself and come to the place of saying, I realize I don't have all the answers. I realize I don't have everything it takes to navigate this life the way it's really meant to be navigated. I realize that there is forgiveness available. There is security in the perfect love of God. And it's not that the circumstances that are perpetrating these things in my life are necessarily going to evaporate or even diminish. But when I'm in relationship with God, when I give my life to him, when Christ forgive my sin and he's the leader of my life, his peace will carry me through. We sang about that a number of times already this morning. And a really kind of pulsing question is, do you have that? Or quite frankly, are you just kind of stumbling through life? Now, the type of fear that I want to focus on this morning is the type of fear that's talked about, which is very different, the type of fear that's talked about in our main text from Proverbs 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In other words, the fear of God is the launching point for cultivating healthy wisdom in my life. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And so this verse is talking about a recognizing kind of fear, a recognition that leads to awe, that leads to reverence, that leads to respect. And we sang all about that this morning, if you were listening. It's a recognizing kind of fear that leads to this sense of awe about who God is, a sense of, uh, of respect for him, and a deep sense of reverence for him. And these and that posture is the launching point of wisdom. These things have to be in place before we can to really begin to appreciate and access the wisdom that he has for us. And then it leads to an understanding that comes from knowing the Holy One. And so in our personal life, not just in a setting like this, but in our personal life, Monday through Saturday, apart from Sunday or whatever, but really all through our life, we live a life of worship of Him, a life of love, a life of obedience, a life of respect, a life of awe, 
a life of reverence. And when we launch that way, then we can pray with confidence and we can say, Lord, I, I want to understand what these different Proverbs mean because I know there's some richness in them. There's incredible insight in them about how to do life. Would you help me understand what they mean for me personally? Because it's said there in verse four that there's some riddles attached to this, these parables and so forth, and these statements. Help me understand them. Help them become part of my life because I believe this is where wisdom begins. And someone says, well, Scott, you know, if I was really honest with you, and this is tough for me to do, but if I was really honest, even though I might even appear outwardly successful, I'm sort of struggling in life. I'm wondering what the purpose of life is. I'm not really sure what all this outward success, or maybe you don't have outward success. I'm really struggling with what to do with, do with it all. My life is very complicated, and even though I don't admit this to everyone, I'm not doing so well. The place to start, Solomon says, is by asking the question, where is God's place in your life? Where is his place in your life? Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And if you're not really getting some of this stuff, maybe it's because that's not in a healthy place in your life. Now, this is talked about in a number of places. Uh, um, Solo read to us from Psalm 111. It referenced this idea, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Let me read to you from Acts chapter 9 and verse 31. It says this, Then the church, so in other words, I'm speaking about all the church at that point, then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. In other words, the southern part of Israel, the middle part of Israel, and the northern part of Israel. So all of Israel enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. So in other words, the setting for a healthy, growing set of congregations all through the whole country and healthy followers of Jesus were people that lived in the fear of the Lord. In Revelation chapter 14, it says this, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. And so this verse has an element and a tone to it of listen or else. Because if a person chooses to deliberately and repeatedly and in an ongoing way reject and rebel against God, even though God doesn't want to go there, because he is holy, we give him no choice. When we deliberately in an ongoing way and rebel against him, there will be judgment. And let me just say this to you. That, amongst all those other things I mentioned, this thing right here, that there will be judgment, that is something to be legitimately afraid of. That's not something you want to experience. And that's not something God wishes for you in any way. That's your choice entirely. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 6, it says, through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. In other words, because of what Jesus does, 
Our sin can be forgiven and cleansed, and we can know the the freedom that forgiveness provides. Through the fear of the Lord, a man avoids evil. You hear me say this so often. The absolute best way, I'm not saying the easy way, but the best way to do life is in that kind of relationship with God. And so there's recognition, which leads to awe, which leads to reverence, which leads to respect. A number of years ago, Debbie and I, my wife and I, were together in Israel. And one of the places, went to a lot of places. One of the places we went to is a place called Abu Ghosh, which is just outside the city of Jerusalem. And there's a stone on one of the buildings there. I took a picture of it. I don't have it on the screen, but it says this is where the 10th Roman legion was bivouacked. And the reason they were bivouacked or lived there is because there's actually water there. There's very little water in the southern part of Israel, okay? So they lived there in order to survive. The 10th Roman legion was responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. They were also responsible later in 70 AD for destroying the city of Jerusalem, sacking the city, knocking all the walls down right to the ground, leveling the place. Right there, there is a church. And one Sunday, we went to church, to a church service there at Abu Ghosh. Very different kind of service. Uh, I've been to lots of different kind of services in my life, but this one was quite different. It was a Benedictine high church service. It was done entirely in Greek and Latin and French with Gregorian chants. There's clouds of incense. In fact, so much incense that Debbie had to leave. So I was in there by herself. She was allergic or whatever. And the incense they use is a symbolic gesture that our prayers waft to heaven. And it was quite a beautiful, quite a majestic service, but I didn't really understand it. I know a little bit of French. I know some Greek, but I don't know Latin. And so I didn't really understand it. And so as the singing and the scripture and the Eucharist was practiced, I had time to reflect on God. And the setting made it very natural. Never forget it. Sitting there, I'm sitting on this bench right here and the service was taking place right over there. People sit on the sides facing in. And I was quite in awe. And I remember being overwhelmed again. I am one of his creations created in his image. The Bible says, because of Jesus and Jesus alone, I'm one of his children. I'm part of the family of God, that my sin is forgiven, that I have a relationship with God that's eternal in nature, that I am on one hand, vastly insignificant compared to God, and yet he gives me this place of incredible importance because of Jesus. And it's more glorious and more magnificent than words can express. You know, I think the temptation for the Western world and the Western church in particular is to forget about the awe to forget about the reverence, to forget about the respect that we are told to have in approaching God. And it's very difficult for us to get over ourselves because the culture is constantly bombarding with us with the idea that all that really matters is me, that I'm at the center of the universe. And we have this 
oddly inflated view of ourselves. And it's really tough for us to get over ourselves. And we're tempted to miss the awe, the reverence, and the respect to lack awareness of the mystery. That was one of the words, one of the frames from one of the verses we sang today. The mystery, the grandeur of the one the Bible says, in him I live and move and have my being. The Eastern Church, of which Abu Ghosh is part of, the Eastern Church has a deeper appreciation for this. They put more emphasis on awe and reference and, and reverence and respect. And I understand, I've been to quite a bit of the Eastern Church in my life, and I understand there's some dangers inherent in that. Yet when I read these scriptures and when I think about that setting at Abu Ghosh, I'm reminded that absolutely God is my friend. We like to talk about that about personal relationship with God. All that's absolutely true. All of that is a good thing. As long as I don't, and this is a very strong temptation in the Western church, as long as I don't try to reduce him into something small enough that I can handle, that I can be overly casual about, and kind of just pick up with him when I feel like it once in a while. What we've sang today, what we've read today is this, God is alive. He is power. Jeremiah says that he is a consuming fire. That he is holy. That he is pure. That he is the one. We read in Isaiah chapter 6, this incredible man of God who was martyred for his faith. The prophet Isaiah is in the presence of God in chapter 6. He immediately falls prostrate onto his face and cries out, I am a man of unclean lips. There's a vastness to God we don't begin to comprehend. You know, years ago, I was in uh, Yellowstone National Park in the States. Probably, how many of you have been to Yellowstone? Put up your hand, quite a few, right? Yeah, and probably quite a few online. And we were there, our kids were grown, but we were there. And, and uh, of course, we did the touristy things, and we went to Old Faithful. And uh, so uh, Old Faithful is this geyser that, you know, is very predictable when it's going to erupt. And uh, we go to see this, and um, there's tourists there. There's quite a few people there. There's tourists from, I'm presuming, all over the United States and many parts of the world. And they're here to see this geyser that... Uh, erupts, like I said, on a predictable pattern, and it's impressive. I will say, maybe not quite as impressive as some of the literature might have suggested in my view, but it's pretty impressive. So people are, you know, all these tourists are taking pictures, and, and, and during this, I kind of got bored a little bit, and so I looked away, I'll never forget this, and I'm looking at all the park staff that are there. There was quite a few of them there, so I'm looking over at Ranger Bob and Ranger Sue, and they're putting away at whatever they're doing. And the tourists, of which I'm a part, are ooing and aahing over this geyser erupting, and they're taking pictures. And I'm watching the staff, even the staff that had seemingly nothing to do. They're just kind of like shuffling their feet or whatever. And here's the thing I noticed about the staff. Not one of them was even giving a sideward glance to Old Faithful. They were talking with each other. 
They were totally preoccupied with other things. They were oblivious to Old Faithful. And see, Old Faithful had become too familiar, and they were very casual. And they had allowed Old Faithful to no longer impress them. This is an incredible danger in the Christian life. Taking God for granted. Yeah, I'll get to him when I got time. And if you're lacking wisdom in life and kind of bumping into walls as you go through life, that may very well be the reason. So just listen to me carefully for a second. In our desire to make God accessible, which he thoroughly is through the finished work of the resurrected Christ, in that we have to be really careful to never lose the mystery, to never lose the sense of awe, the sense of his holiness, the fact that he's a righteous judge, the fact that he's an all-consuming power. The fact that he is the creator and I am the created. So on the screen behind me, there's another picture of my time in Israel. And that's my friend Doug. And uh, the first day we were there, we hiked about an hour, hour and a half into the city of Bethlehem. And we came to the, ch- the church of the Nativity which is the only undisputed site in terms of, in all of Israel, about the biblical record. Um, Totally undisputed. This is the birthplace of Jesus. And they've built a church right on top of it. It's called the Church of the Nativity. And when you go to go in that church, Doug is about 5'10", 5'11". You see how small the entrance is? That's the main entrance to the Church of the Nativity. Why would they build such a small, short entrance? Here's why. In churches, even in this one, but uh, typically in the Eastern churches and in the cathedrals and in churches like this, architecture sends a message. And the message that's being sent by this entrance that when I went through it, and I'm not very tall, I had to bend down like this to get in there. Why do they do that? They do that because they want us to be reminded, I am to humble myself in the presence of God. When I come to worship him, it's to be with a humble heart. Not just a humble heart, but a humble expression. This is one of the reasons we raise our hands in worship, which the scripture invites us to do. Don't feel pressure to do it, but it's a good thing to do. It's an outward expression of what's going on inwardly. And in the Eastern church in particular, the architecture, but in this kind of church as well, architecture sends a message. And so Doug and I and Debbie, when we were there, we had to bend over and rightly so, to go into the church of the nativity. Do we approach God like that? With awe? With respect? Not only for who he is, but for what he's done. See, when we do what the proverb says, is that's the launching point 
deeper biblical wisdom. That's the launching point for way more than just some information download. It becomes about transformation. It becomes about an ongoing molding of my life. Then we begin to appreciate that second half of the verse. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. With this in mind, we talked about this last week. We talked about savoring and meditating on these verses, maybe just on one verse or on small sections, and allowing them to soak deeply into our life and say, God, you're in the rightful place in my life. Now, what does this biblical proverb have to say to me? So having said all that, what I want to do is just read five or six of these proverbs. And I invite, the, invite you to let them just soak into your life and to say, God, what do you have for me from this? So you might even want to close your eyes as I read these. Just listen to them. Proverbs 10, 27. The fear of the Lord adds length to life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. You think that's really primarily about how many years and how many days you actually physically live? Or is it more about how you live the days you are given? The fear of the Lord adds length to life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. Proverbs 14.2, he whose walk is upright fears the Lord, but he whose ways are devious despise him. 19.23, the fear of the Lord leads to life, then one rests content, untouched by trouble. You know, we all have trouble at points. So what does it mean to be untouched by trouble? 31 verse 30, Charming, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. 22 verse 4, humility and the fear of the Lord bring wealth and honor and life. 1426, he who fears the Lord has a secure fortress and for his children, it will be a refuge. And so it's this idea of passing on the faith generationally, like we talked about with Lily this morning. And finally, 14, verse 27. The fear of the Lord is a fountain, a fountain of life, turning a man from the snares of death. Amen.